Hello, everyone, and welcome to the return of the Wisdom on Wheels podcast. Um, For those of you who didn't know, I told some of you, basically the ones who asked, um, why the last podcast ended a while back. And I've been telling those of you who have asked that I would be doing restarting it eventually, although I didn't know when. So as to why... um, I had set up the previous account um, to try to make some money and uh, you know through advertising and other things that Anchor offers, but um, I don't want to get into the details of it because then I would have to give up some personal information, but I'll just say that I had some issues with the account, and there was no way for me to get out of doing that or um no or excuse me there was no way for me to get out of to to unlink the anchor account from my bank account because there were some things that I wanted to do with that podcast that it wouldn't allow me to do um by having that linked to that and so i again that's uh, that's probably not the clearest thing in the world to to explain or whatever and I had some other issues with uh, Facebook because I had tried to advertise with it and I had had some issues with that and I don't want to get into long detailed boring versions of that the point is is that no matter what I tried to do to untangle myself from those things it wasn't able to really be done so the only way for me to really start over was to literally start over and so I apologize to those of you who liked those uh, episodes. Um, I won't be re-recording any of them, I don't think. But I wanted to at least explain what was going on with that and what happened. Um, let me set this phone down here. So for today's episode, as I restart this, and I've kept the same name, the Wisdom on Wheels podcast. Um, I'm not going to ha- um, well, I'm not going to talk about all the changes. I intend to make or whatever, because again, if I do that and then I want to change something later, I don't want to have to try to untangle all that again, or expectations of something that's supposed to be that no longer is, I'm not going to do that, I'm just going to put something straightforward, and here we are, and I hope you like it, and that's how I'm going to do that. So, that being said... Today, I want to focus on, and I'm not going to start this off by talking about coronavirus because I don't, we're not going to be, there's so many things talking about coronavirus and all that, and if it comes up during the Bible study, great, if it doesn't, whatever, because that's what everybody's talking about, and I'm tired of talking about it, I'm tired of hearing about it, I'm tired of reading about it, um, when the fear of coronavirus is the real problem, not coronavirus itself. I'm not saying coronavirus isn't real. I'm not saying it's a hoax. I'm not saying it's nothing to worry about. I'm not saying we should go out and be stupid. I'm not saying any of that. So any of you who contacted me on Facebook and said, well, I, you know, gosh, you're making this sound like it's a conspiracy and it's not real. I'm not saying anything like that. I don't intend anything like that. So it's just best if we don't even get into that until it comes up, because most of you who are on my Facebook and my Twitter, you know how I feel about it. Some of you have misinterpreted or 
misrepresented what I've said about it. I don't, well, I shouldn't say misrepresented because that sounds purposeful. And I don't think any of you who are my genuine friends would do that. I think you've, some of you have misinterpreted what I'm trying to say by saying the kinds of things that I've said. And I just don't really want to get into all that right now. But um, if you're going by a chronological Bible reading plan, such as the one that Bible Gateway has, then today's reading for March 17th, which, by the way, is St. Patrick's Day here. Uh, and I want to let you know that uh, none of the cats pinched me because I wasn't wearing green. And if they did, then they would have been wrong because I'm wearing a green shirt. I don't know if cats are able to see green or not, and I'm not interested enough to look it up. Well, actually, I am. Let me do that real quick, since I don't have any real notes prepared, and I'm going to be looking up some things anyway. Can cats see green? A cat's vision is similar to a human who is colorblind. They can see shades of blue and green, but reds and pinks can be confusing. So there we go. Cats can she cats can cats can see blue and green. So that means that if my cats would have tried to pinch me today, although I don't know how they would have, except with their claws, which would have really hurt, that would have been more like a scratch instead of a pinch. But anyway, if they would have tried to pinch me, or if anybody else would have tried to pinch me today, if we weren't practicing all this <clears throat> social distancing, promised I wasn't going to talk about coronavirus. So let's move on. But if anybody would have tried to pinch me today, they would not have been able to because I am wearing a green shirt, which you would be able to see if this were a video, but it's not because I would rather you hear me than look at me. So <laughs> um, I was all prepared today wearing my green. So there. But um, today we're going to be reading Deuteronomy 21 through 23. I'm going to be reading the New Living Translation, and I'm going to be making some comments um, about it as we go forward. And so that's what we are going to be reading today, and here we go. This section is for cleansing for unsolved murder. When you are in the land, the Lord your God is giving you. Someone may be found murdered in a field. And you don't know who committed the murder. In such case, your elders and judges must measure the distance from the site of the crime to the nearby towns. Okay. So... Setting up here again, we've got a murder, we don't know who did it, and nobody saw it. It's an unsolved murder. They don't, there's no way they can prove who did it. Verse 3, when the nearest town has been determined, that town's elders must select from the herd a heifer that has never been trained or yoked to a plow. They must lead it down to a valley that has not been plowed or planted, and has a stream running through it. So we have to have a heifer that has not been trained or yoked to a plow. So it's it's not being it's not been set aside for any other purpose. They must lead it down to a valley that has not been plowed or planted, and that has a stream running through it. There in the valley, they must break the heifer's neck, 
And all you animal rights people, if there's any of them listening, I know they'd be like, oh my gosh, you know, that's horrible. And, you know, we got people today, meat is murder, meat is murder. They don't think anything of slaughtering babies and with Planned Parenthood, but, you know, meat is somehow murder. But in ancient Israelite culture, they actually valued human life over animal life. They treated their animals as they should, but this was pre-sacrifice of Jesus. We hadn't had the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and his shed blood for our remission of sins. So, they, uh, there's a little Apostles' Creed for you. But uh, but uh, we haven't had that yet. So we had animal sacrifices as a type or as a, a symbol of the sacrifice which was to come. The blood of animals covered our sins. You know, you know in ancient Israelite culture, the blood of Jesus washes them away. So that is something that is very different. Um, going forward, then the, little, the Levitical priests, I'm in verse 5 now, Deuteronomy 21, 5. Then the Levitical priests must step forward, for the Lord your God has chosen them to minister before him and to pronounce blessings to the Lord's name, in the Lord's name. They are to decide all legal and criminal cases. There's something else that's different. The priesthood, the, Le the Levitical priesthood set up by God in the Old Testament, not the same as the Catholic Church priesthood, mind you, but the Levitical Church priesthood decided all legal and criminal cases in that day. The elders of the town must wash their hands over the heifer whose neck was broken. Then they must say, Our hands did not shed this person's blood, nor did we see it happen. O Lord, forgive your people Israel, whom you have redeemed. So they were asking forgiveness on behalf of the entire nation. Even though they didn't commit the murder, they still had to seek forgiveness for the nation. This was for one murder. I'm going to make a point about that in a minute. Do not charge your people with this guilt of murdering an innocent person. If it wasn't an innocent person, and for people who are opposed to the death penalty, murdering an innocent person. So if this was an innocent person, uh, excuse me, if you have a guilty person who's committed a murder and you kill them, that's capital punishment. It's not murder. This is murder of an innocent person, meaning murder of someone who, the death of someone who did not commit a crime worthy of death. Um, continuing with Deuteronomy 21, 8, then they, will, then they, meaning the nation, will be absolved of the guilt of this person's blood. What would have happened if they didn't do the animal sacrifice as a covering for the sin? Well, then they would have been guilty of that person's blood. Verse 9, by following these instructions, you will do what is right in the Lord's sight and will cleanse the guilt of murder from your community. This one of the points I want to make from this. This was done for the death of one person. This was done for the murder of one innocent person in the Israelite community. How many murders a day happen in the United States of America? 
Now, I know that we don't. As uh, a matter of fact, I'm going to go ahead and ask that too. Since I've got this up here, go ahead and do that. Just give me one minute. How many murders a day happen in the United States? Okay. Um, in 2018, the U.S. murder rate was 5 per 100,000 for a total of 15,498 murders. Um, okay, so if we were to divide... Give me one second. 15,498 divided by 365. Okay, so in 2018, there was an average of, say, 42 murders a day. Now, that doesn't mean there was 42 murders every day. Some days there might have been less. Some days there might have been more. But on average, in 2018, just two years ago here in the United States, we had an average of 42 murders every day. Now, for the murder of one person that went unsolved, they sacrificed an animal. We don't do animal sacrifices anymore. Our sins have been washed away by the blood of Jesus. Now, that doesn't give us a blank check to commit sin. This is not greasy grace. This is not hyper grace. We don't have a blank check to commit sin just because Jesus forgave all our sins. Because I got news for you, most of America is not, has not accepted that gift of pardon on their behalf. And even if they had, a person who continues to walk in sin, just read the book of 1 John. It's five chapters. Read it. If you... Uh, continuing to walk in sin after and say that you belong to the light, you're a liar and you walk in darkness and the truth is not in you. So people who can just willy-nilly go on and sin and act like it's no big deal and they're not convicted in their conscience and they're not repentant and they don't confess it and they just go on about their business and blah, 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 blah. They aren't saved um, I've cited statistics from the Barna Research Group before that said that the percentage of people who actually hold a biblical worldview is in the single digits of the percentage of, of Americans, which is something like, I think it was like 9%. It might have gone up to 12 or something like that since the latest time they did that. But So it's, it's around 1 in 10 and maybe a little less of people in the United States who actually hold a biblical worldview, according to the Barna Research Group. And they have a certain criteria that I'm not going to go into right now, because that's not part of the, that's not why I'm doing this podcast. Um, that's not part of the subject for today. But, but yeah, most of Americans consider themselves Christians. I will look that up. What percentage of America calls itself Christian? Okay, so in 2019, last year, 65% of American adults identified themselves as Christians. I, it's a pretty safe bet that 65% of America isn't Christian. 
If it was, there would not be one. <laughs> if 65% of American adults were Christians, number one, they'd all be registered to vote. Number two, we wouldn't have one quote-unquote pro-choice or pro-abortion candidate ever elected to public office in the United States again, or they would be very few depending on where this 65% was. But there's no way that we would have one person elected to office or appointed to a judgeship or whatever because we would have pro-life candidates and pro-life public officials. Therefore, they would appoint pro-life people. We wouldn't have one. Oh, we wouldn't have, maybe it's an exaggeration, so we wouldn't have one. Depending on where these people are, this supposed 65% of Christians, we would have very few, um, very few pro-abortion judges, pro-abortion candidates or politicians or whatever that actually got elected or appointed to office because 65% of America wouldn't stand for it. And that, that's just not my interpretation. You know, the Bible, uh, no prophecy of the Bible was given for private interpretation. I mean, yes, we all, there might be some disagreements that we have doctrinally, but that's a cop-out for a lot of people to say, oh, well, um, everybody has their own interpretation of the Bible. Sorry, I mean, you, I mean, that's not a, again, I used this term once already, but that's not a blank check for whatever you want to believe and just say, well, I interpret that differently. Well, you shall not murder, okay? How are we going to interpret that? <laughs> you, you got some comments on that? You come and tell me about it. But anyway, point is, uh, we have... I think it was 42 on average in 2018, 42 murders a day average. We're not doing animal sacrifices anymore. I'm glad for that. I'm glad for the blood of Jesus. But it's still important for us to learn these things. Because what if they were killing animals, if they were killing one animal, or an unsolved murder like this, then that shows how seriously they took the sanctity of human life. Can we really say in America today that we hold life in that same regard when we have, I think the last I heard on average was about 4,000 abortions a day when we can have the murder of 42 people outside of the womb. And, the, and then the worst thing is these numbers of the, the murdered don't even include the unborn because we don't, a lot of statistics don't classify them as murder. And that's unfortunate. But add the other homicides into this that are classified that way. This, my, and I just heard one of my favorite preachers um, say earlier tonight, now this was during his Sunday service yesterday, but I just heard one of my favorite preachers say earlier tonight 
um, that this is a Christian nation. I disagree with that. It would be correct to say this was a Christian nation, not that we were ever a theocracy, but it is accurate to say that this country was founded by an overwhelming majority of Christians who, hold, who held to a biblical worldview. Okay? And that our laws, for the most part, were biblically based for the longest time. There, a lot of them aren't anymore, but even... You know, well, I don't want to again. Don't want to get into that too much because I'm getting off on a tangent. But my point here is, we are not a Christian nation anymore, even though we started out as one, and even though our foundations were as such. But we have had so many people. Again, supposedly 65% of America's Christians. I don't buy it because our society has systematically been trying to dig up that foundation, to tear down this country, tear down its foundations, and rebuild it in their own image, or in the image of syncretism, or whatever, or secular humanism, or other false god, false god, false god or godless systems, whatever you want to call it. We've had all this stuff, and yet we supposedly have a 65% Christian nation? Yeah, right. I don't think so. Our country would look a lot different. You wonder why stuff that's happening right now is happening? I'm not saying that this virus was sent from God or anything. I'm not saying it wasn't, but I'm not saying it was. What I am saying is you can't kick God out of society and then when something bad happens, go, where were you? Why didn't you protect us? Whether you, whether your theology says that God sends stuff or whether your theology says that God allows stuff or both, whichever way you want to go, the point is we got nobody to blame for bad things that happened to us but ourselves. That was true on 9-11. That's true now. And unless there's a huge national repentance, it'll be true in the future. Going on down. Starting in verse 10, Deuteronomy 21. Marriage to a captive woman. Suppose you go out to war against your enemies and the Lord your God hands them over to you. When you go out to war against your enemies, who hands them over to you? Is it by your own might and strength? No, the Bible says, not by might. Not, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Here he says again, Deuteronomy 21.10. Suppose you go out to war against your enemies, and the Lord your God hands them over to you. If you gain the victory over an enemy, it is the Lord that handed that enemy over to you. Whether we're talking about another person, or whether we're talking about a virus, if we are ever going to get victory over this coronavirus, it is the Lord who is going to hand that enemy over to us. And make no mistake, I whether we're talking about coronavirus or the fear of it, and there is a spirit of fear on this country right now. Not saying that the virus isn't real. Not saying anything like that, but I am saying that e even though it is a real thing, 
the fear of this has gripped people. Even while people are preaching, don't panic. I love it when they say, don't panic. And then everything they say after that is panic. Or everything they say after, don't panic, is all the reasons why you should panic. Or don't panic, but let me give you all the ways that we should act in fear. That's, you can't say don't panic or don't fear and then have every word af after that be fear-based. Fear That's talking out of both sides of your mouth. That's a double-minded man, and a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways, the book of James says. Didn't intend for this podcast to turn into a sermon, but my golly, I guess we're going to do that. But again, this is about marriage to a captive woman, and I'm just picking up things as I go along here. So here we go. Suppose you go out to war against your enemies, and the Lord your God hands them over to you, and you take some of them as your captives. So the Israelites have gone out to war, they've won the battle, and they've taken some of the women as their captives. And suppose you see among the captives a beautiful woman, and you are attracted to her and want to marry her. Is it wrong to appreciate a woman for her beauty? Absolutely not, according to this. If this happens, you may take her to your home, where she must shave her head. I mean, you know, maybe some women would look okay bald. I don't know. Uh, but, okay. Cut her nails and change the clothes she was wearing when she was captured. So... I'm guessing this was because of a new identity that she was supposed to take on. I'm not really sure. Um, I'll look into this. Hang on. We might look up some notes on this in a minute. Uh, she will stay in your home, but let her mourn for her father and mother for a full month. Okay, so there's a, a set time for mourning, uh, a full month. It's pretty reasonable to be able to mourn for a month when you've lost someone then it's time to move on then you may marry her and you will be her husband and she will be your wife hey I didn't write it I'm just reading it you think that's unfair can I say verse 14 chapter 21 of Deuteronomy but if you marry her and she does not please you, you must let her go free. You may not sell her or treat her as a slave, for you have humiliated her. It's actually a form of compassion, because in those days, in a lot of cultures, you could have sold her or treated her as a slave or treated her like property. And some would argue, I'm sure, that, well... You took her as a captive and married her and, and, and all that. Well, that's treating her like property again. I didn't write it. Just reading it. Got an issue with that. Don't take it up with me. There is something I want to do here. I'm, I'm mainly I want to look up what this whole thing is about. Uh, about... Uh, 
why you had to shave her head and cut her nails and all that stuff. Cause that seems a little weird to me. So I'm going to pause this for a minute and I'm going to uh, look that up and I'll be back with you in a moment. All right, I'm back. I just had to get some of my notes out. Um, the NIV study Bible notes, uh, study Bible says, shaving her head was indicative of leaving her former life and beginning a new life, or perhaps symbolic mourning. So I was right about the starting a new life. Uh, should have just listened to the Holy Spirit on that one. He's, he's got me pretty spot on there. Um, let me look through some other ones here and see. If I can find anything else that talks about this. Uh, okay. NIV Quest Study Bible. says, uh, The newly captured woman was given a month to grieve and compose herself before she was married to the Israelite. Shaving her head and cutting her nails were elements of a purification ritual. Also see Leviticus 14.8, Numbers 8.7, 2 Samuel 19.24 indicating her transfer to another life and another status. They also been part of the mourning ritual for her parents. So again, there's that. Um, NIV Student Bible, it uh, doesn't say anything there. Let me keep going down. MacArthur Study Bible, I don't agree with his, his uh, views on the Pentecostal slash charismatic slash word of faith movement. But he still has some good insights. So let's see what John MacArthur had to say. Uh, um, blah, 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 blah. I'm looking for the whole thing about... Um, okay, let's see. Uh, um, according to ancient world customs, a female captive became the servant of the victors. Moses was given instruction to deal in a kind way with such issues. So... In ancient war, female captives became the servant of the victors. Um, there's that. Um, and God demanded that the Israelites treat their women kindly. In the event her conquerors were captivated by her beauty and contemplated marriage with her, they couldn't just take her and have sex with her. Now they, they had to get married, do everything the right way. Um, Primacy of marriage is seen here. It's not just lust for lust's sake. You had to commit to this woman. Um, one month was required to elapse during which her troubled feelings might settle. Her mind would be reconciled to the new conditions. And she could sorrow over the loss of her parents as she left home to marry someone else. One month was the usual mourning period for Jews. And the features of this period, shaving the head, trimming the nails, and removing her, her lovely clothes... Um, ladies on the eve of captivity usually dressed to be attractive to their captors, so they were prepared for this, were typical signs of Jewish grief. So the shaving the head, the mourning, all that stuff were signs of grief. Um, the action was important to show kindness to the woman and to test the strength of the man's affection. So... You know, he sees this woman, and my gosh, she's beautiful. She looks good, and she is all dressed up, and it's wonderful. So shave her head and cut her nails to see how beautiful you think she is then. Are you still going to be attracted to her? Are you still going to love her like you're supposed to after this 30 days, after this 30 days is up, and after you've kind of 
taken away some of her beauty. After the 30 days, they could marry. If later he decided divorce was appropriate, he could not sell her as a slave. She was to be set completely free because you have humbled because you have humbled her. And again, you can go to uh, Deuteronomy twenty, chapter twenty-four, verses one through four, to look at the provisions for divorce in the law of Moses. Um, this phrase clearly refers to sexual activity when it talks about humbling her, in which the wife has fully submitted herself to her husband. It should be noted that divorce appears to have been common among the people, perhaps learned from their time in Egypt, and tolerated by Moses because of their hard hearts. So there we go. That's uh, all I'm going to read on that. So I was basically, I was correct that this was to give her time to transition into her new life, and the shaving of the head and cutting of the nails was a symbol of mourning and also a further symbol of of transition into that new life. And I have learned my lesson from the last time I did these podcasts about, well, if I could make it work, about uh, putting Do Not Disturb on so that I don't get all kinds of noises coming from my phone from notifications. And I have learned my lesson. So there we go. How's that for a good southern accent? I've learned my lesson. Anyway, um, so we're going to move on from that on to the next section. I'm not even out of chapter 21 yet. I don't know if my one-hour threshold for these things is going to hold this time, but we'll see. Right, so the first one. Suppose a man has two wives. Uh-oh. I thought marriage was supposed to be between one man and one woman. Wait a minute. What do you mean if a man had two wives? Well, <laughs> um... Does God approve of polygamy? Um, no, he does not. But, so then, I mean, if we look at king, polygamy, uh, the practice of taking more than one wife was common in the ancient Middle East. Having many wives was a sign of wealth and rank. Um, often multiple marriages was politically expedient, like for a king. But although polygamous marriages are recorded without direct comment throughout the Old Testament, they clearly violate God's original intent for the marital relationship. Genesis declares that a husband and wife will become one flesh. Jesus reiterated this principle. You can find that in Genesis 2.24 and Matthew chapter 19. God also warned warned in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 17, that taking many wives was a dangerous thing. The Old Testament records numerous accounts of strife resulting from polygamy. Um, it led to spiritual disaster, led to rivalry among the wives. Solomon's numerous marriages to foreign women eventually led to spiritual compromise and even the downfall of the kingdom. So, although polygamy is incompatible with God's ideal, it apparently was one of many borderline practices that God allowed during Old Testament days. It pretty much disappeared during the Babylonian captivity, and by the time the early church was established, God made his ideal for marriage clear in the qualifications for elders and deacons. 
each was to have one spouse and uh, one man, one woman, one flesh, all that. So it is clear in the Bible that God's perfect standard is one man, one woman marriage, although the culture of that day allowed for, and apparently God did allow for, again, just like he allowed for divorce in some cases because of the hardness of the heart of the people, he also apparently allowed for polygamy for the same reasons. Again, I didn't write it, and that wasn't God's perfect standard, but that's the way it was under the law of Moses. We are no longer under the law of Moses, even though we can get certain principles from it. So let's keep that in mind as we go forward. Um, suppose a man has two wives, but he loves one and not the other. Um... And both have given him sons. And suppose the firstborn son is the son of the wife he does not love. When the man divides his inheritance, he may not give the larger inheritance to his younger son, the son of the wife he loves, as if he were the firstborn son. He must recognize the rights of his oldest son, the son of the wife he does not love, by giving him a double portion. He is the first son of his father's virility, and the rights of the firstborn belong to him. So... If you married someone and you fell out of love with them or whatever, and you married another woman, but you had a son with the other woman first, the oldest son, there's a big thing in the Israelite culture. If we had started this earlier, you would have seen this. But if you go throughout the Old Testament, and even, you know, this is even somewhat, in, even in the New Testament, shows this firstborn son in ancient cultures, especially in Israel, had um, a, had rights that the other son did not have, had a bigger portion of the inheritance that the other son did not have. And so if you had married a woman and you were in love with her, but then you decided, oh, gee, I don't think I'm in love anymore. Too bad, Charlie. Um, you got to, I don't know if there were any Israelites named Charlie, but uh, I doubt that there were. But the uh, point is that you still had to honor that firstborn. Dealing with the rebellious son, Deuteronomy 21, 18. Suppose a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father or mother, even though they discipline him. In such a case, the father and mother must take the son to the elders as they hold court at the town gate. The parents must say to the elders, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious and refuses to obey. He is a glutton and a drunkard. So this is not a young child of like, say, eight or nine or ten years old. This is like an older person. He's a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his town must stone him to death. In this way, you will purge... This evil from among you, and all Israel will hear about this and um, be afraid, as they should. <laughs> so, you know, in today's culture, we have these, oh, it takes a village to raise a child, and oh, you, you can't spank a child because you might hurt their self-esteem, or you might harm the little creature. In Old Testament days, if you had a son who grew up and he was a glutton and a drunkard, uh, you could drag that boy to the to the gate and uh, 
if he was found guilty, he's dead. Um, I guarantee you they didn't have near the problems we have today with uh, this, at least, um, well, they uh, they had some for sure, but it wasn't as culturally widespread as it is today. And when it was, and, you know, if it was and the people didn't obey these laws, then you got the judgment of God falling on you. But that's another thing. We'll get into that later on. If someone has committed a crime worthy of death and is executed and hung on a tree or impaled on a pole, the body must not remain hanging from the tree overnight. That's why Jesus couldn't be either. You must bury the body that same day for anyone who is hung on a tree. The Greek version reads for everyone who is hung on a tree. is cursed in the sight of God. Jesus is hung on a tree. He's hung on, he's hung on the cross. Those pieces of wood. And he took the curse upon himself for us. Which is why we are no longer under that curse. In this way... You will prevent the defilement of the land of the Lord. Your God is giving you as a special possession. Going on now to chapter 22. If you see your neighbor's ox or goat or sheep wandering away, don't ignore your responsibility. In Hebrew, it says, don't hide yourself. So, take it back to its owner. If its owner does not live nearby, or you don't know who the owner is, take it to your place and keep it until the owner comes looking for it. Then you must return it. Do the same if you find your neighbor's donkey, clothing, or anything else your neighbor loses. Don't ignore your responsibility. There's a good principle there. First of all, if you see, you know, we see movies, TV shows, and this happens in real life all the time. A dog or a cat runs away. Somebody picks it up and and uh, keeps it or hangs on to it, whatever. Tries to do that. Then... Um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. If, uh, if that happens, then you have to give it back. You can't just hang on to it. And it's the same with uh, today. Like, you know, if, if an animal gets lost, you have to give it back. You can take care of it. But you do everything that you can to find the owner if you don't know who the owner is. If you do know who the owner is, you return the animal immediately. You don't keep it. I feel like I might have violated this command at one time. Uh, even again, again, we're not under the law of Moses, but the principle of this still applies. And so I think um, 
These are good guidelines for living by, even though we're not under the law of Moses anymore. Um, I think I might have accidentally uh, kept, and I didn't know for sure who the owner was of a particular animal that we brought into our home. And it ended up not working out. The animal didn't like all of us. And um, so we ended up giving it away to someone else online. Um, found out later that that might have belonged to someone that lived near us. And I don't think I ever told them. So I should probably, I mean, I can't set that right now. But, um, yeah, I think, um. I think I might have messed up on that one. And I, I hope I didn't. I hope I'm wrong. But I could have. If you see your neighbor's donkey or ox has collapsed on the road, do not look the other way. Go and help your neighbor get it back on its feet. Some of this is covered in Jesus' command. You know, he said all the law and the prophets hang on. Love your neighbor as yourself and uh, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know, if I lost an animal, I would want somebody to return it to me. If one of our, if one of my three cats got out, like Galaxy almost did yesterday when the pizza guy got here, um, I uh, would want somebody to return it. So I should do the same in return, and I definitely will in the future. And I'm feeling really bad about this now, even though this was years ago when that happened. I'm feeling really bad about this as I read that now. Um, so, Lord, forgive me for that, and I'm going to try to do better in the future, and, um, if that ever happens again, because I would want my animals to be safe and protected, and uh, I hope that, uh, as our, we look for a new place to live, my cats and I here, I hope that you will, uh, not hold that sin against me. And uh, it's covered by the blood of Jesus, and I claim that, and I thank you for that. And justification means just as if I had never sinned. So I'm not going to let the devil condemn me over that or have me living in fear over it. Um, so thank you for that, Lord. And um, let's move forward. In Jesus' name, amen. If you see that your neighbor's donkey or ox is collapsed on the road, do not look the other way. Go and help your neighbor get it back on its feet. So, again, even though they had animal sacrificing back in those days as a covering for sins, they still believed in taking care of your animals and your neighbor's animals. You know, Cain famously said, Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are. Um, a woman must not put... Uh, this goes on beyond the animal stuff. We're going to get into some other things here. But I just wanted to say that. Deuteronomy 22.5 A woman must not put on men's clothing and a man must not wear women's clothing. Anyone who does this is detestable in the sight of the Lord your God. Does that mean that women can't wear pants? I'll leave that up to your own interpretation. Uh, even though the scripture is not of private interpretation, uh, we could go to Romans 14 on this one where it talks about how I would say we're not under the law of Moses anymore, but the principle still applies that men should look like men, women should look like women, whatever that means to different cultures. Uh, 
this passage definitely speaks to the idea that men are men, women are women. Um, you can't have this transgender stuff and be biblical. You can't have, can't just say, well, if Tommy wants to be called Gina, uh, did I just make a, I think I just might have accidentally used a, a Tommy and Gina. That's from like the living on a prayer thing, I think from Bon Jovi. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> I didn't mean to do that, but uh, I think I think that's what I did. But okay, let's let's go with the Bon Jovi thing. Let's say Tommy wants to be called Gina now. Sorry, not in the Lord's eyes. Um, if you were born a man, you were a man. If you were born a woman, you're a woman. And that's that. If you don't feel like you are, I'm sorry. We can get you some help for that. We can get you some counseling and we can get you straightened out, hopefully. But it is what it is. Oh my gosh, you can't say that. Well, I just did. You back it up and it'll still be there. Um, man, this podcast is fun. Uh, <laughs> if you happen to find a bird's nest in a tree <coughs> or on the ground and there are young ones or eggs in it with the mother sitting in the nest, do not take the mother with the young. You may take the young, but let the mother go so that you may prosper and enjoy a long life. How about that? There is a, now again, we're not under the law of Moses, but I mean, there's one other verse that I can think of or one passage that comes to mind about letting, um, about prospering and enjoying a long life. And that's for children to honor their parents. Well, here we have a command to be respectful of an animal mother and her young, also hinging on living a long life. So you got to treat your animals with respect. That and God says, if you want to prosper and enjoy a long life, honor your parents and treat your animals, you know. It doesn't mean they have the same rights that humans do. It doesn't mean they're equal to humanity because they aren't. But as long as they are alive, you know, in Genesis it talks about how we can, our diet changed and we're permitted to eat them now. And in Acts uh, 10, it did away with all of the food laws and we can eat whatever we want now. But as long as those animals are living, you can't abuse them. You got to treat them with respect. You got to treat them with uh, love and care. If you don't, you're risking that prosperity and long life, according to Deuteronomy 22. When you build a new house, <clears throat> you must build a railing around the edge of its flat roof. That way you will not be considered guilty of murder if someone falls from the roof. Seems pretty self-explanatory. Try to protect people so and look out for people. You must not plant any other crop between the rows of your vineyard. If you do, you are forbidden to use either the grapes from the vineyard or the other crop. I would be interested in looking that one up. That looks interesting. It's Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 9. Um, do, 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 do. What do we have here? This says, uh, the aim of the legislation seems to be to maintain healthy crops by keeping the seeds separate from one another. Okay. 
with their mouth. You must not plow with an ox and a donkey harnessed together. What could go wrong there? According to the dietary laws prescribed earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 1 through 8, the ox was a clean animal, but the donkey was unclean. Even more compelling was the fact that these two different animals couldn't together plow a straight furrow. Their temperaments, natural instincts, and physical characteristics made it impossible. As with the seed, God is protecting his people's food. You must not wear clothing made of wool and linen woven together. I've heard people talk about some of these laws. Well, do you, do you especially a lot of times when talking about uh, homosexuality, they'll say, well, do you... Uh, do that? Do you do this? Again, we're not under the law of Moses, but as we saw with some of these things, there were reasons for these. This wasn't just a willy-nilly thing. You must put four tassels on the hem of your cloak with which you cover yourself, on the front, back, and sides. So why was that the case? Why did they do that? Let me look this up because I'm interested in uh, this one as well. Let me um, put a particular note on this. There we go. Where is it? Can't find it now. Um, do, 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 do. Uh, these blue tassels were in the form of a flower or petal and were attached to the garments of the Israelites to remind them of their need to trust and obey God's commands. So, there you have it on that. Um, let me go back to the passage. I'm sorry for the delay. I'm just trying to help us understand some of these things. Suppose a man marries a woman, but after sleeping with her, he turns against her. And publicly accuses her of shameful conduct, saying, When I married this woman, I discovered she was not a virgin. Then the woman's father and mother must bring the proof of her virginity to the elders as they hold court at the town gate. Her father must say to them, I gave my daughter to this man to be his wife, and now he has turned against her. He has accused her of a shameful conduct, saying, I discovered that your daughter was not a virgin. But here is the proof of my daughter's virginity. Then they must spread her bed sheet before the elders. The elders must take the man and punish him. They must also find him 100 pieces of silver, which was the equivalent of 2.5 pounds. wonder how much that would be in today's thing. How much is a pound of silver? Uh, silver price per pound is $209.35 right now. $209.35 times 2.5. The answer is 523.375,000 United States. Okay, so if we just for fun's sake, let's say we were reading this in today's thing. Um, the elders must 
take the man and punish him. They must also fine him $523, give or take. A few cents there, I forgot what exactly that was. Which he must pay to the woman's father because he publicly accused a virgin of Israel, a virgin of, Israel of shameful conduct. The woman will then remain the man's wife and he may never divorce her. So if he falsely accuses her of... Um, if he falsely accuses her of sexual misconduct, then um, that's the end of that. <laughs> um, he's got to stay married to her forever. The maximum recording time for a segment is 60 minutes. So I'm down to less than four minutes. Um... We might go ahead and uh, tell you what. I'm going to go ahead and try to finish out this chapter in the next three minutes. And then we're going to move on and I'll finish the rest of this on another segment. Um, but suppose the man's accusations are true and he can show that she was not a virgin. The woman must be taken to the door of her father's home and there the man of the town must stone her to death. For she has committed a disgraceful crime in Israel by being promiscuous while living in her parents' home. In this way, you will purge this evil from among you. There was a, a high premium placed on marrying a virgin and on sexual purity. Fornication outside of marriage was not allowed. Again, why is all this happening to us today? Well, I'll let you make your own conclusions, because... The commands for sexual purity extend into the New Testament. So look at Acts 15 for that, if you don't believe me. If a man is discovered committing adultery, both he and the woman must die. In this way, you will purge Israel of such evil. God ain't playing around with sexual immorality. Suppose a man meets a young woman, a virgin who is engaged to be married, and he has sexual intercourse with her. This happens within a town. You must take both of them to the gates of that town and stone them to death. The woman is guilty because she did not scream for help. The man must die because he violated another man's wife. In this way, you will purge this evil from among you. Got a minute and a half to go. Let's see if I can do this. But if the man meets the engaged woman out in the country and he rapes her, then only the man must die. Full thing is here, if she could have stopped it and she didn't, then they need to die because she consented, even if she wasn't willing at first. If she tried to stop it and, or if she tries to stop it and he rapes her, then only he has to die. If a man rapes a woman, he's going to die. If they're consenting, then they both die. Do nothing to the young woman. She has committed no crime worthy of death. She is innocent as a murder victim. Since the man raped her out in the country, it must be assumed that she screamed. There was no one to rescue her. That is the point. Suppose a man has intercourse with a young woman. I've got 45 seconds. Suppose a man has intercourse with a young woman who is a virgin but is not engaged to be married. If they are discovered, he must pay her father 50 pieces of silver. Then he must marry the young woman because he violated her and he may never divorce her as long as he lives. A man must not marry his father's former wife, for this would violate his father. I have 25 seconds left. 
That's awesome. Here we go. I will finish the last chapter of today. I was going to do Deuteronomy 21 and 22 and 23. We just finished 21 and 22. We will do 23 on the next segment and then we will be done with this episode. I will. Uh, so we will continue with the next segment in a moment. Okay, I'm back. Let's finish. Uh, let's finish this up with Deuteronomy chapter twenty-three, and then we will be done with this episode. Regulations concerning worship. Again, this is worship in ancient Israel under the law of Moses. I'm not trying to be crude here. I'm reading straight from the text. We're going to be covering some a little bit of language that some people may find questionable as far as describing uh, a man's um, um, equipment. And so if you're a minor listening to this, you probably need to not be. If uh, you're a parent and you're listening to this with your child, um, they don't use anything crude here. I shouldn't say uh, crude language. It's not crude. It's a... Uh, um, but I just want to make you aware, Deuteronomy 23, it goes into, it talks about something here in verse 1, so I want to go, and it uses very um, anatomically correct language, I guess is the right way to say it, so if you're offended by that, or if, uh, first of all, if you're offended by that, I guess you better not read the Bible, because it's there, but just don't be caught off guard if you've got young ones with you, and you don't want them to hear these words. Deuteronomy chapter 23. If a man's testicles are crushed or his penis is cut off, yowie wowie, to quote Bray Wyatt. If, in other words, I guess if a, if a Lorena Bobbitt happens, if you don't know who that is, get to Googling, because I ain't explaining that. If a man's testicles are crushed or his penis is cut off, he may not be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. Ouch. Why would that be, may you ask? Well, why don't we look at that and see if we can't find out? Let's scroll up here, Deuteronomy 23.1. From the sanctification of the home and marriage in the previous chapter, Moses proceeds to the sanctification of their union as a congregation and speaks to the right of citizenship, including being gathered before the presence of the Lord to worship him. Most likely, this law did not exclude one from residence in the area. Blah, blah, blah. I'm not looking for this. Okay. Let's scroll on down here. The emasculated, the illegitimate, and the Ammonites and Moabites, as we'll see later on in the chapter, were not allowed to worship the Lord. The emasculated were not allowed to worship the Lord. The general rule was that strangers and foreigners, for fear of friendship or marriage connections, which would lead into to idolatry, and this is talking about them not marrying people of other cultures. Um, eunuchs, illegitimate children were uh, were excluded from this. Uh, eunuchs were forbidden because of willful because such willful mutilation. In uh, Hebrew, by crushing, which was the way such an act was generally performed, violated God's creation of man. Okay, okay, so I see what's going on here. 
So when this guy's testicles get crushed, this was a willful act that was done, apparently. This wasn't an accidental thing. So I, I shouldn't use the Lorena Bobbitt example. So apparently this was a willful act that was done. Um, it was associated, it violated God's creation of man and it was associated with idolatrous practices and was done by pagan parents to their children so they might serve as eunuchs in the homes of the great. And uh, the illegitimate were excluded so as to place an indelible stigma as a discouragement to shameful sexual misconduct. Um, people from Ammon and Moab were excluded, not because they were born out of incest, but on account of their vicious hostility toward God and Israel. Uh, so yeah, um, there we go. So this whole thing, this wasn't some accidental thing. If your penis got cut off or your testicles got crushed, this wasn't some, oops, I'm sorry that happened. Now you can't worship the Lord. This was a willful thing. It shows you how crazy some of these people had to be to ever want to do that. But we, <laughs> anyway, if a person is illegitimate by birth, neither he nor his descendants, for ten generations may be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. Again, this might seem unfair, but it was done to discourage fornication and the results of it. No Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants for ten generations may be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. Again, this is because of how they treated Israel. There's a lesson there for treating the people of God, the Israelites, with respect. If you don't honor the Jewish people, as Genesis 12, 1-3 teaches, and other places as well, if you don't honor the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you are placing yourself and your nation in danger. These nations did not welcome you with food and water when you came out of Egypt. Instead, they hired Balaam, son of Beor from Pethor, in distant Aram Narharim to curse you. But the Lord your God refused to listen to Balaam. He turned the intended curse into a blessing because the Lord your God loves you. Somebody curses you and you're under the protection of the Lord, you're under the blood of Jesus, you ain't got to worry about nothing. All those stupid people that were trying to put curses and stuff on Trump, they can try it with all they want. As long as the people of God are praying for this president, and as long as he's doing things that honor the Lord, he's going to be fine. You can wish that he had coronavirus all you want. You're going to be wishing into the wind. As long as you live, you must never promote the welfare and prosperity of the Ammonites or Moabites. Again, why was this? Because they disregarded the God of Israel. God does not play around when you're, when you're messing with his people. Same with his spiritual children. That would be true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who rely on him. Do not detest the Edomites or the Egyptians because the Edomites are your relatives. And you lived as foreigners among the Egyptians. The third generation of Edomites and Egyptians may enter the assembly of the Lord. When you go to war against your enemies, be sure to stay away from anything that is impure. Today, keep yourself spiritually pure. Any man who becomes ceremonially defiled because of a nocturnal omission must leave the camp and stay away all day. Toward evening, he must bathe himself, and at sunset, he may return to the camp. This was for the ancient Israelites under the law of Moses. 
You must have a designated area outside the camp where you can go to relieve yourself. In other words, you can't just be pooping and peeing anywhere. Hello, San Francisco. Learn something from God's word, please, in more areas than one. And that's all I got to say about that for right now. Each of you must have a spade as part of your equipment. Whenever you relieve yourself, dig a hole with the spade and cover the excrement. So, yeah. Bury your poop. Bury your pee. Like my cats do with their litter boxes. Don't just leave it laying around. It's disgusting. It's gross. It smells bad. And it can cause grody, yucky diseases. Reminds me I got a... Uh, we'll get in. Well, we won't get into that at all. But I'm going to finish up this chapter. <laughs> I flush, by the way. I don't bury my stuff. The camp must be holy, for the Lord your God moves around in your camp to protect you and to defeat your enemies. He must not see any shameful thing among you, or he will turn away from you. Please keep that in mind, people. Honor the commandments of the Lord. If you don't. Don't be asking why God ain't looking out for your country or your people or your household or your family or you if you aren't honoring the Lord. if Because God's moving around in your camp or he's moving around in your house or he's moving around in your nation or if you are just an individual believer, he is moving around in you because your body is the temple of the Lord according to the New Testament. So don't put anything shameful in it or do anything shameful with it. If slaves should escape from their masters and take refuge with you, you must not hand them over to their masters. This is why the fugitive slave law that the Southern Democrats passed in the slavery days was so wrong. Violated the word. Some of those guys tried to use the Bible to promote American slavery, but American slavery was not biblical. Biblical slavery was not based on racism. American slavery was. The way that American slave owners treated their slaves also did not line up with the Bible, as is evident here along with other places in the Law of Moses and in the New Testament. But we will get into that later, I am sure. Um, let them live among you in any town they choose, and do not oppress them. No Israelite, whether man or woman, may become a temple prostitute. God does not like prostitution. Pro sex is for the marriage bed. It is not for the marriage kitchen. I'm sorry, I'm not going to finish that. I forgot again. There still might be children listening. I am sorry. We will move on from that. Um, the point is, sex is for marriage. You can't be a prostitute. We should not pass laws making prostitution legal. When you are bringing an offering to fulfill a vow, you must not bring it to the house of the Lord your God. Any offering from the earnings of a prostitute, whether man or woman, for both are detestable to the Lord your God. 
If you are making money doing any detestable practice or immoral practice that violates God's word, don't tithe off of it. If you're a drug dealer, don't take the money you made and bring it to the church for a tithe and think that the Lord is going to bless you. Just want to throw that out there. Do not charge interest on the loans you make to a fellow Israelite. Hello, America. Whether you loan money or food or anything else. Hello, church. Hello, America. You may charge interest to foreigners, but you may not charge interest to fellow Israelites so that the Lord your God may bless you in everything you do in the land you are about to enter and occupy. Hello, America. Do I need to say anything else about that? No, I don't. When you make a vow to the Lord your God, be prompt in fulfilling whatever you promised him. Oh, how I have violated this one so many times in my life. Uh, when I had was dealing with an addiction to pornography, all the number of times I've said, Oh, God, I promise I won't ever do that again. And within a day or two, I was right back to doing it. Oh, a number of times I've violated this commandment. I am so sorry, God. Thank you for forgiving me and for and for and my repentance and trusting in you that has allowed that to be forgiven. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice on the cross. I would be so guilty without that. For the Lord your God demands that you promptly fulfill all your vows or you will be guilty of sin. Keep your word. However, keep your word, that was my phrase, that's not part of the text. Verse 22, however, it is not a sin to refrain from making a vow. In other words, if you don't think you can keep your word, keep your mouth shut. But once you have voluntarily made a vow, be careful to fulfill your promise to the Lord your God. Verse 24, when you enter your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes, but you must not carry away, carry any away in a basket. And when you enter your neighbor's field of grain, you may pluck the heads of grain with your hand, but you must not harvest it with a sickle. So I guess if we're going to make a modern day application to this, if you go over to somebody's house, it's okay to eat their food. And I guess, you know, if they want to take here, take some of this home with you. I, you know, I guess you can do that too. If they ask, if they let you have it, because then they're giving it to you. But you can't just go into your neighbor's house. Like if I go over to my friend Billy's house and I can't go in there and be like, hey, you got a soda. I think I'll drink some, I think I'll drink a Coke here. And you, you know, you can have a Coke while you're there. But don't take six of them out of the fridge and take them home with you. <laughs> I'm not going to, you know, stock them up and have them in my pockets and carry them out in my arms without his permission. And I'm not just going to presumably go in there and do it because that's not right. So there we go. That's how I would apply that to today. Uh, we are not under the law of Moses, so take that, whatever you want to do with it. We still have principles that we can learn from this. And, you know, while I say we're not under the law of Moses, I'm correct theologically in saying that. But I would also say, again, going back to 
In Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 39, Jesus said, um, The greatest commandment is to love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is like it. Second greatest commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two greatest commandments. But how do we love people? Okay? He says the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Loving God with everything you have. Loving your neighbor as yourself. Okay? It's part of the commandments. But, that's not according to our definition of love or our society's definition of love. That's according to the Bible's definition of love. I'm preaching to the cats right now, apparently. Ginger seems to be listening intently to everything I'm saying. So, Ginger, may you uh, receive the Lord this evening as your Savior. I'm just kidding. But, uh, <laughs> I do believe we're going to have animals in heaven. I even think our pets are going to be there. And I even think they'll be part of the rapture if you're a believer. But, mm, I don't want to get into that right now. Point is, I forgot what my point was. I forgot what I was... Oh, yeah, Law of Moses. Right, Law of Moses. We're not under the Law of Moses, but God said to love Jesus. And your Jesus said the two greatest commandments, love your neighbor with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. That's not according to our definition of love or our societies, because our society largely says now that love is love in regards to gay marriage or gay relationships. I'm sorry, it ain't. So, as Pat Gray would say with Pat Unleashed on the blaze, hashtag put that in your pipe. Let's love the way God defines love, not the way we define it. May you have a blessed evening in the name of Jesus, and I hope to be doing this more tomorrow.